Greens are coming for you, Rhaenyra. And for your children. You cannot bend the knee to the High Towers. They stole your birthright. Every man standing round the painted table urges her to plunge the realm into war. Lay siege to the Red Keep. Send us. I swear to ward the Queen. Your cause owns a power that has not been seen since the days of old Valyria. Welcome to the Strange Harbors podcast, a weekly discussion of film, television, and pop culture. My name is Jeff Zhang, and tonight I'm joined by Amir Duray. So tonight we are without Derek once again. He is still on his break, so it'll just be me and you, Amir. We are wrapping up our discussion of the first season of HBO's House of the Dragon, the Game of Thrones spinoff, which aired its season finale last Sunday. We'll be talking about the final three episodes of the season titled the Lord of the Tides, the Green Council, and the season finale, The Black Queen, as well as the season as a whole. So our Sundays are about to get much worse, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah, very upsetting. Just right off, I mean, I think the last few episodes of this show were excellent, and I'm just mostly upset that we're not going to get any of this show in 2023 at all, and we have to wait till 2024 for season two. It's really upsetting. I know, I know. I'm okay with just waiting because I know these shows take a lot of effort. The productions are massive. The budgets are huge. Just getting everyone back in like costume and on set, I'm sure it's a lot of work. I don't want them to rush it, but I am sad that we're not going to get anything until 2024, which is crazy when you say it. <laughs> yeah. All right, so I want to start by asking you, what's better, first season of House of the Dragon or first season of Game of Thrones? Oh, yeah, this is, I think this is a tougher question than I would have anticipated at first, right? Because I think the easy answer is to say Game of Thrones 100% slam dunk, like, don't even think about it, right? But yeah, House of the Dragon season one is pretty strong. It's really good. I still think I have to go Game of Thrones season one, but it's not like a crushing defeat or anything. I think it's a pretty near thing. I'm 100% with you. There are Kind of different beasts. I think Very much so, right? Game of Thrones had to prove itself. The first fantasy show for HBO ever? I don't think they've ever had a fantasy show. It was like a huge production. Benioff and Weiss were untested. You just don't know what that show is going to be like. So they built that thing from scratch. And I know House of the Dragon has the whole legacy of Game of Thrones to live up to, even though a lot of people hated the final season. So that's like another thing the House of the Dragon had to do, similar to Game of Thrones, is also prove itself, right? That was another hurdle that it had to overcome. And I think it did, because I'm like the biggest final season of Game of Thrones hater there is. And I'm back. I'm back into the world of George R. R. Martin on TV, and I'm totally sucked into House of the Dragon. I think it's phenomenal. But it is a different feel from Game of Thrones, I do think. Yeah, I agree with you very much that it's one of the best things on TV going right now. It successfully won people back over. But the thing that the show benefited from in terms of having that Game of Thrones legacy is that it does have a lot more budget in this mm -hmm. first season than Game of Thrones ever did. So you yeah. get a lot more of the epic nature of this world way up front. 
right? These massive dragons and all the special effects that go with it. Even the like costume design and the set design and all this stuff is a lot bigger than that first season of Game of Thrones. And, and it does make you feel as if you're witnessing like the degeneration of this great Targaryen monarchy that existed, you know, hundreds yeah. of years in the past to the um, more impoverished, less grand Baratheon dynasty that we saw in Game of Thrones. I still think Game of Thrones season one edges this. I don't think that this season had any moments like the Baylor moment. Yeah. You know, I don't think that these characters, I, I think they're plenty compelling. I don't think they're as likable as the Game of Thrones season one characters. I agree. I think Tyrion is super likable. I think Arya is super likable. I think these are like breakout super popular characters. Ned? Ned, of course. Yeah, mm-hmm. of course. I think these are characters that House of the Dragon season one doesn't truly have an equivalent of. As heartwarming as it is to see people say that they're all on board for Rhaenyra's war crimes in season two. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I saw that tweet too. (laughs) I don't think that she's as likable or as well like the character as like, yeah, Ned or Arya or Tyrion or I don't know, Rob Stark or whomever from that first season of Game of Thrones. I will say Game of Thrones, the characters are more fleshed out. And I think Game of Thrones, the first season at least, is more patient than House of the Dragon season one. Yeah, Building up its characters, just letting us get accustomed to the world. I mean, obviously we don't really have to do that as much in House of the Dragon because we're just returning back to Westeros. So we kind of know what to expect, but I would say House of the Dragon is pulpier in its first season, at least. Trying to get those crowd-pleasing moments. It doesn't feel quite as like prestige as Game of Thrones, if you know what I mean. It's a little... Interesting. It's a little trashier, not in a bad way, I don't think. Um, it's oh, a different feeling. <laughs> huh. I didn't quite get that feel, but that's interesting, and I think I kind of get where you're going with that. I have to think about that one. Huh. I think it wants to build up big moments more than Game of Thrones does, like big water cooler moments. You know, like the last three episodes had so many. Damon executing Vaymond, and then Rhaenys coming out of the dragon pit with Melisse, and then the whole finale. I think Game of Thrones season one, it was very, very patient until like the shit hit the fan with Ned discovering the Baratheon uh, lineage or whatever, you know, and then all the way leading up to his execution. It wasn't quite as sensational i feel yeah i mean i think this goes hand in hand with the fact that this is a different era like even diegetically in the in the history yeah, of the yeah, story yeah. right where it's everything is bigger and more epic and there's tons of dragons around and all of this versus you know because even in going back it's almost as if each episode has a big moment like the yeah, yeah, yeah. aemon riding vagar right mm. or the recasting in six and yeah it feels like there's something relatively big in every episode almost right yeah very different tones i do think in the end, I got to go season one of Game of Thrones, but that's not to diminish this show at all. I mean, I think this show has been, been really amazing. Yeah, I'm 100% with you. But some people didn't like the finale. Some people, like, really hated the finale. I think a lot of the, I think what Twitter calls them, book perverts. <laughs> They're just purists, basically. They think Rhaenyra's character was assassinated. They didn't like how Damon was portrayed. They think everything was rushed. I think some of their criticisms are something I can see. But for the most part, I don't agree. I think a lot of the changes are smart. So can you expand on that? Like, what are the changes that they're upset with? Okay, so 
I think the big thing that they're upset about is Aemond and Vagar killing Lucerus at the end of the season finale and making the writers lose control of the dragons rather than a purposeful murder on Aemond's part, right? By the way, we're fucking spoiling this whole thing. So I'm sure you guys have seen the episodes. We're already a week removed from the finale, so we're doing weapons hot spoilers here. I think they're upset about that. They're upset about Rhaenyra's character not being able to marinate in the tragedies that she's experienced, which is kind of fair, but that's kind of just the nature of the show and how it's been for the entire first season. I think they skip a lot of the character development when it comes to like the time jumps if you're not that upset about those then i don't think you can really be that mad about the season finale either yeah i'm not upset about the time jumps i agree that you can see that the pacing of this first season could in some lights be seen as kind of weird herky-jerky there are these constant time jumps you are skipping all this character development but then on the other hand, and again, this goes to like, hey, this is an adaptation of a book series that you can just like go read and see the choices that they've made in adaptation. Um, mm-hmm. This entire first season is like all a setup to the quote unquote main story to this giant Targaryen civil war, right? Right. So on the one hand, you can say, oh, it feels like they're rushing through these like 30 years of history and um you know why didn't they show us all of this stuff on the other hand they did just spend a whole season leading up to the thing which they've been trying to do the whole time right so i don't know if you consider that like rushed or not like i i think that's a criticism uh, do you read alan Seppenwall? i do yeah i think that was one of his major criticisms of the season is that it felt like they were trying to rush to get to the civil war part and mm-hmm. that by rushing, they don't let you get the time to develop and grow an attachment to the characters as you had in Game of Thrones season one. But I mean, I think we also forget that we spent six episodes with young Rhaenyra and young Alicent, right? That's a long time to be spending before a time jump where the main actor takes over the role. I grew quite attached to those earlier actresses and to those characters through them. So I think I just kind of disagree with that, but I get why people feel that way. I don't think it's like an unwarranted criticism or anything. Yeah. Um, I just don't know if, and I don't know if this is true for Sepinol particularly, but I just don't know if what people are picking up on is not like, we don't know these characters so much as we don't like these characters. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Rhaenyra's cool, but she's not Arya. She's not Tyrion. Mm-hmm. She's not Ned Stark. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. I don't feel as if... I missed any super important character development in the time jumps. I think I still know exactly where Rhaenyra's head's at. I know exactly where Allison's head is. I know exactly what they're thinking in any given situation. I don't feel like I go, oh, wait, how did she grow up to be this woman who she is now? Uh, I think I have a pretty good idea. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, yeah. I don't at all think we're missing out for ha- for them excising those things. I don't need to see, you know... 10 years of, uh, I don't know, Allison festering in her like jealousy and envy or, you know, 10 yeah. years of Rhaenyra failing to build up a power base to protect her birthright or whatever. Like, I, I, I just don't think you needed to see that to yeah. get where the characters' I'm, heads are. I'm with you. Um, although I do think that there are some things that glossed over that if they had included would have made the impacts of the later episodes bigger. 
For example, I think one thing that I would have wanted to see was Rhaenyra developing that bond with Harwin Strong a little bit. Um, I don't know how you would have been able to do that in the time jump, but like just to have him sorry these three kids with her and then he just immediately dies. That did feel kind of rushed. And also mm. I wish they kind of fleshed out Rhaenyra and Alicent's friendship in the first couple of episodes a little more than they actually did. Just to get a better sense of their friendship would like set up a better foundation for the impact of how their relationship curdles, right? I think that would be better. Also, I would have wanted to see Allison and her dynamic with the small council as her husband grows sicker and sicker. You win some, you lose some. You can't get everything. It's got to cover a lot of ground. So There's I, a lot I of see ground why. Yeah. And I feel like you get a sense of what the dynamic is, is that she's a principal player but she's not running the entire show her dad is clearly still very powerful in this the other members of small cats are still doing a lot of shit behind her back right Mm -hmm. and she's got to resort to some unconventional methods of soft power (laughs) yeah yeah i think i wanted to see more of their friendship when they were adolescents i think i wanted to see more of their relationship curdling i know we already got a lot of that but it just mm-hmm. like i would have liked to see what was rainira's emotional response to her best friend marrying her dad yeah do we ever yeah. get a a look at that i mean it seems obvious she fucking hates it but like it just yeah we got like a better look in like episode two or three and that was it right like you didn't really get to explore like her actual interiority about that whole situation. I mean, which she obviously hates, but yeah, you could tell that she hates it. You can see that the relationship is immediately soured, but that I think I would have liked more of. I would have liked more of uh, certain characters too. Like uh, I wanted to see more of Lena Valerian, Damon's uh, yeah. the late wife, right? Well, one of Damon's late wives. <laughs> um, you know, the young lady who was put forth as a potential wife for Viserys before he chooses Alicent, right? Yeah. She was that little 12-year-old girl way back then. Mm-hmm. And she grows up and becomes, uh, you know, a dragon rider. A dragon rider of Vagar, like the most powerful dragon in the realm, right? Yeah. And then, you know, becomes Damon's wife and they have a bunch of kids and they have this pleasant relationship. But I don't know, you just don't get enough of a look at that and she just jumps between like three different actresses over three different episodes and then she's dead i that's a character i wanted to see more of see more of her see more of her relationship with rhaenyra as well yeah um, um, and not just damon yeah and then uh, that episode had a deleted scene where it had damon comforting their children after lena's death which i feel like they shouldn't have cut that scene out i think it would have been better if they left that in just to give him some soft edges there so another thing would about the reception of like the finale is that people are upset what they did to Damon, like choking Rhaenyra. They're like, oh, they fucking ruined the character. They made him a complete piece of shit. Like, how could he choke his wife? I was like, what do you mean? Um, how could he choke his wife? He murdered his first wife with a fucking rock. <laughs> <laughs> so like, uh, I don't know what you're talking about. I think like the standing for Damon has just gotten a little out of hand. I think a lot of it is just how based on how charismatic and how cool Matt Smith plays the character. But he is not, like, a good person. I think you could say that for a lot of the characters on this show. They're not good people. I think they're just going a little bit overboard on 
standing of the character, you know? I'm 100% with you. I read a review, I think it was Shanti Collins, who's talking about exactly this phenomenon. And it's just like, it's okay to have a crush on Damon. Like a lot of people have yeah. crushes on bad boys. It's fine. You don't have to like, justify it morally. He doesn't have to be a good person. And in fact, probably part of why you like him is because he's a bad person. That's part of what's attractive about him. That's entertaining. Character assassination all. If that's what people are upset about, that's like, makes no sense, right? You saw this guy, yeah, murder his wife, right? Yeah. He's in an incestuous relationship with his niece. Like, come on, guys. Like, he murders people at the drop of a hat. <laughs> like, this isn't a morally simple person. This isn't somebody who's just a straight up and down fucking Ned Stark or whatever. And he's always been, like, painted as petty and impulsive, you know, executing Vaymond. I think that's a big fan moment where, like, oh, he got what he was coming. Like, he couldn't hold his tongue in episode eight. That was an impulsive move, too, you know? That was a cool moment. I did like that, though. Yeah, it was definitely a cool moment, a fan-pleasing moment there. Yeah, I think the character assassination thing just doesn't really fly with me. Yeah, um, it doesn't track for me either. I was actually kind of happy to see Damon do it because the, the guy is a piece of shit, right? You know, he's yeah. a hero to some, a villain to others. And then you can see both sides of that character here. So I'm, I'm glad the show's reminding us that this guy isn't just, like, one-sided. Um, what else are people upset about that's stupid? I think the finale stuff with Vagar killing Lucerus and Arix are rubbing some of the purists the wrong way. Instead of like a purposeful murder, it's an accidental death. That's a bit silly too, right? Because we, we talked about this on the last episode. The fire and blood is like this, written as this dry historical tome that's been compiled from different historical accounts over many years and is being written in universe many years later. So you don't get that detailed look into the heads of all the characters that you do in the Game of Thrones right. books. It's not this... Um, third person, like limited omniscience from the point of view of each of the characters. So you don't actually know what Aemond was thinking or intending. Uh, right. You know, he, he does announce his intentions of like, I'm going to go like murder that guy. But like, <laughs> but I think there's a lot of room for wiggle room. And I think there's a lot of room for misinterpretation. You know, if you want to defend the show, you could say, hey, he said publicly he was going to kill the guy, but maybe he just meant to, you know, bully him a little bit, scare him a little bit, and things went out of hand. And who would know in the end, right? There's only two people there, and one of them's fish food. So what, is Eamon going to go back and say, yeah, I was bullying him, and things got out of hand, and oops, I started a war? No, he's going to say, I I meant to kill him. Uh, You know, it was completely intentional, and I definitely didn't lose control of my dragon. Don't worry about it, guys. (laughs) I just think the way the episode painted it just adds a little bit of shading to the Eamon character, too. You know, he's like a bully, and he's cruel and vindictive. But then when push comes to shove, I don't think he means to murder, right? I think that's the case with a lot of bullies, where they'll say things and they'll do things. But when it comes to, like, actually harming someone, they'll probably pull back a little bit. And I think that's kind of the case here. Uh, I think it adds a little dimension to the character. And a lot of it is, like, in theme with the entire through line of the season. From episode one, or the early episodes with Viserys, it's all about, like, I'm always reminded of, like, half measures, full measures speech from Breaking Bad with Mike, right? With Mike Herman <laughs> Trout. Yeah. Commit to full measures, you know, instead of just half measures. Viserys is, like, a people pleaser. Um, there's a lot of hedging and a lot of, like, just mistakes that, compound into this all-out war some of it isn't purposeful and i think they did a good job of building that through line throughout the season yeah absolutely like the inevitable 
like nature of this conflict, and yet there's so many points at which it felt like it could have been averted if only things had gone slightly differently. Um, uh-huh. That's what makes it tragic, right? Yeah. I liked that change uh, a lot. I, yeah, I disagree with the people who are mad about it. And another thing, another aspect of like the willingness to kill thing is these guys are relatives, right? Yeah. You know, they're kin at the end of the day, right? Like Viserys is Aemon's father and Luke's grandfather through Rhaenyra. So they're cousins. And this is something that like maybe hasn't been emphasized enough in the show or people don't remember it, but like you're not supposed to like kill your family. Like, I don't know if that's like something people have forgotten about, but they say in Game of Thrones multiple times, there's none so accursed as the kinslayer. The kinslayer, right? right. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone who kills their family or, or I guess it breaks an oath, like breaks an oath of hospitality. That's pretty bad too. But in terms of like taboos in Westerosi society, killing your own kin is definitely one of the things on that list of things that you wouldn't do. And I think that adds to the reason that Eamon maybe wouldn't have tried to outright kill his cousin. And maybe also to another thing people are complaining about, maybe why Rhaenys decides she's not going to destroy the entire royal family with her dragon when she had the chance. Of course, she doesn't want to start a war and that matters. But also, you know, these are family members and she doesn't want to be responsible for that. And I think that's another thing people are for you. You might be reluctant to murder your entire family if you thought there was another way. Um, so I, I, I think people are kind of ignoring that. And there's a... You know, I don't know. There's good reason to uphold these kind of norms that you don't go around killing family or breaking oaths. You know, like if you break oaths, people aren't going to be able to trust you. You're not going to be able to ever make deals with people, right? If you go around killing your family members the same way, your family can't trust you. Other people can't trust you. Oh, they're going to betray their family. Can we ever trust them with anything? You know, these kind of norms are important, right? So I I think that's the thing people are forgetting. That's also like part of the reason why like episode nine so much, the Green Council. I think there are a lot of complicated things happening concurrently. It says a lot about like the iron-fisted power of the patriarchy where, you know, Viserys dies and then Alicent is like, oh, what are we going to do? And then the small council is like, don't worry about it. We already put in a plan to fucking kill Rhaenyra and like all her children so that Aegon can be king. And she was like, what the fuck? I did not fucking sanction this or whatever, you know? The plan was already in motion before like they even knew the king was dead. And then I think there's a lot of shading to Allison's character in that episode that's great. She's like, unwillingness to murder is not weakness. But also like... If you're willing to kill, you would avoid, like, this entire war, too. How so? Instead of taking Rhaenys prisoner, just have her killed. That would also avoid a lot of things. Well, that doesn't avoid the war, though, right? Say you kill Rhaenys. All that does is ensure that uh, Corlys Valerian enters the war on Rhaenyra's side, which he does anyway. But he almost, But he almost didn't. But if you kill his wife, then he definitely does. And it only makes you worse off, right? Like, a lot of people think that, like, oh, like, the maximally, like, evil, ruthless thing to do is always going to be the smart move. And then, like, that's not necessarily the case. I think that's, like, a huge misreading of, like, the show, the books, and real life. I think in hindsight, what they did with Rhaenys was probably a mistake because she absconded with Melise from the dragon pit and she gave Rhaenyra a heads up on what was happening. Because without Rhaenys, Rhaenyra wouldn't even know that Viserys was dead and that they were conspiring to take the crown from her, right? And also, Corlys is bedridden. 
So I feel like that's an easy thing that you can button up too. Yeah, I mean, I agree <laughs> that like letting her escape on her dragon is definitely not the optimal move. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's definitely not what you wanted. But I, I don't think that means that killing her is the right move. But I agree with you. They didn't want to let her escape. That was definitely very sloppy and stupid. She shouldn't be allowed to slip away from her guards and go directly to her dragon and escape on the dragon, right? That's a little bit silly on their part. Definitely shouldn't have allowed that to happen. And like, as much as I like that change, because it emphasizes like explicitly having Rhaenys have a chance to kill her relatives and then not do so is an explicit emphasis on like the importance of restraint and codes of honor and not jumping headfirst into war and uh, the importance of not kinslaying. And also it underlines the importance of those qualities in people besides Rhaenys, right? That's part of what she admires in Rhaenyra and why she comes to her side, right? right. Seeing Rhaenyra also kind of striving her utmost not to have this thing go over the edge of the cliff. Um, so I, I do appreciate that they did this intentionally. I agree that it is complicated by the fact that kind of scene is always going to draw some kind of criticism. It's not necessarily in bad faith. I think it's just some of these criticisms are in good faith and they're meant like, hey, I just think it's dumb that she wouldn't do X, Y, and Z. How did she get to the right, dragon? Right, How did the right. dragon bust out of the floor? And, you know, like I understand why for some people those things would be immersion breaking or seem silly. And this is something the book sidesteps entirely by Rainey's just not even being there, right? But yeah. I, I don't know. I think it's cool. I like seeing Eve best. I, I, I liked having her have her little talk with Alicent. She's great. I think the show benefits from doing that and having her in that scene and in King's Landing rather than not. So I, I like the decision. How many innocent people do you think she killed busting out of the dragon pit? <laughs> oh, I don't know, dude. I mean, a lot. And I'm sure they're making a point there about, you know, the lack of importance of like the small folk to Westerosi society, right, right, right. right? Like she spares her royal and noble kin and then just kills a million small folk without thinking about it and just pieces out. But... <laughs> Um, I, I, like, like clearly, there's a point being made there, but people are making it sound like it's the worst like massacre ever in Rosterosi history. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe she killed a couple of people bursting out of that thing. I don't know how many people really necessarily died. Is, is it like hundreds? I saw people saying some pretty huge numbers. I'm like, there's I don't no know. way it's hundreds. I feel like I it's a know, dude. I feel like it's a dozen at best. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like it's a dozen. I mean, I, I'm quite sure there will be far greater war crimes to complain about as the show continues. <laughs> It's a relatively minor one there. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I love it. Yeah, I love you best. I, I think Rhaenys is a cool character. Who else am I liking a lot? It's not like I like the character, but I love the portrayal of the character. I fucking love the portrayal of Sir Kristen. <laughs> yeah, this I love dude that guy. is so fucking unhinged that like in the beginning of the season, you're like, oh, this guy's like an honorable knight. And then like by the end, when he shows up, you know, some shit's going to go down, right? Like just him showing up behind fucking Lord Beesbury, you know he's fucking done for in episode nine. <laughs> where he slams his head into the fucking uh, table and it kills yeah, a him. A little over-enthusiastic there. <laughs> All he was doing was telling him to sit down, but like he pushed him just a little too hard and he caved his skull in. So Just can't uh, help caving people's skulls in when he shouldn't, that Christian Cole. That's right, that's right. Joffrey, too. <laughs> All about those little oopsies. <laughs> yeah, I really love Christian Cole. I think he's a great character. You know, he's a very compelling, interesting, fucked up dude. And uh, yeah, I, I love him. He's a piece of shit, but I, I fucking love him as a character. Again, not a good dude. I don't think he's like a nice person yeah. or whatever, but he's a great character, right? I think uh, Fabian Frankel does a good job. Yeah, I mean, he does a great job, and, and as far as casting, they cast a really 
good looking guy. And I think that's important, an important part of his character, right? And an important part of him initially seducing Rhaenyra. Apparently, well. who never ages. Well, yeah. yeah <laughs> He's the only that. one that, like, doesn't look him and Matt Damon, Smith, I think. Him and, yeah, him and Matt Damon, Smith, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, who else doesn't get changed? Otto doesn't. Does Otto look uh, any older? They don't, I don't change know. his I actor. I feel like I feel like gray hair and like a beard makes it harder to tell like how much you actually age. So right, it's like oh, he's in his seventies yeah. now instead of his sixties or whatever, or it's you know sixties instead of his fifties, yeah. kind of all blends together. But Matt but, Smith yeah. and like Fabian, they're both pretty young, so and like clean shaven. So when you go through thirty years without them actually aging that much, it's a little. It's a little jarring, but whatever. It stands out a bit. Your, yeah. <laughs> suspend your disbelief there. Well, uh, you know who who, who definitely aged? <laughs> Evisaris. <laughs> well, yeah, but <laughs> but he's past aging now. I was thinking of Amund. Amund uh, pulls a fucking yeah yeah. Amund yeah. pulls a fucking Rick and Stark. Like this motherfucker is huge all of a sudden, like a sprout. <laughs> yeah, he's way bigger than uh, than his elder brother who gets to be king. He looks way older than uh, Aegon. He looks like he's fucking 40. He's an anime villain-looking motherfucker, too, with a blue I eye. Know, and I the know, blue sapphire eye and the eye patch and everything. And the long blonde hair. He's like fucking Sephiroth or some <laughs> I shit. know, with the sapphire eye and everything. Yeah. I actually thought preteen Aegon looked older than uh, the Aegon we got at the end. Yeah, the new Aegon looks kind of baby-faced. He does have a, a bit of a baby face. Yeah, weird. I agree. It's, weird. it's a little funny, yeah. That, that's one of those funny things with the constant recasting and the time jumps is people's ages and appearances sometimes don't fully line up. But overall, I, I, I think the time jumps worked overall. I'm still pulling for Patty Considine's uh, Emmy nomination for Viserys. He did such a good no job. There's no fucking chance. But I agree. He did a fucking amazing yeah. job. He was incredible. His last episode, episode eight, was fantastic, where he's like hobbling to the throne and then Damon helps him with the crown. What a touching um, moment. Yeah. Like refusing the milk of the poppy to f- fucking hobble to this meeting and intervene on the side of his daughter. Like pretty yeah. amazing, touching moment, I thought. Great moment. Yeah. He, I really he, did like he's that. He's excellent. I think it's pretty funny that Viserys is like got a chunk of his face missing. He's completely falling apart. His leprosy is like really fucking him up. And then when he dies, the first thing Damon's like, "Oh, they murdered my brother," which I think is fucking hilarious. <laughs> like, uh, I was like, did they though? <laughs> have you been paying attention? <laughs> yeah, man. One problem, which unfortunately I think has well, it's not even a problem. Just one thing I've noticed that I think has not abated at all is i don't know if the show comes down heavily on their side but i think like people watching the show are very much team black right yeah like i think it's difficult to be on the side of the greens at this point and i don't know if that is going to change in the future but i don't know what do you think about that do you think that i still think it's a little lopsided i agree i think having episode nine be completely devoid of the blacks i don't think it's a mistake but i do think that it tips the scales further in the favor of the blacks in terms of like people rooting for them. Like you said, everyone on Twitter or on social media, they're like, oh, I'm all for whatever war crimes Rhaenyra is going to commit next season. You know, the sympathies are definitely on their side. In the last episode, Rhaenyra lost two children. So that's definitely something that is tipping the scales too. Right. So I don't know. Um, I think it's going to be tough to get people on the side of the greens, but I don't know. Yeah. But at this point, I do think Allison's is a more interesting character than Rhaenyra. 
at oh, least at this really? point. Yeah, I don't know. I just think the position that she's kind of stuck in is giving her a lot of extra dimension. I like her fucked up foot fetish relationship with Laris, too. Oh my god, that was so weird. <laughs> it was so, so weird. weird. Super perfect, I thought, but super weird. <laughs> I think the finale was great. I really liked the finale. I think a lot of people hated it for reasons we already outlined. I thought it was great. I think the whole Lucerus going to Storm's End, I thought that was perfect, too. The reveal of Vagar in the background after he landed... I thought that was fantastic. You were like, oh, Dude, fuck. Vagar was so scary. You don't He's realize. So scary. Like the scope. It's like Godzilla or something, right? It really is like a, a kaiju yeah. or something. Just this enormous creature. And you don't really realize until Lucerus is flying away. And then Eamon's like trying to fuck with him. And he's flying above him in the storm. And you see how much bigger Vagar is than Eryx, right? That fucking giant shadow over them it's like it's it's crazy that was a great shot it's so well done yeah that whole chase sequence in the storm is super scary and i thought it was actually very interesting kind of weird that the kill doesn't happen there it happens after they emerge into like the calm yeah 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 and it's sunny and you're like oh and then just bam yeah lucerus's death is very very sad because i think uh rhaenyra and lucerus have like this bond throughout all the episodes you see Rhaenyra like taking Lucerus's hand when he's anxious I think in the episode where Allison wants to take his eye and then she does it again before she sends them off on the mission to Storm's End it's really sad actually yeah man I mean this is someone who loves her kids and uh yeah, yeah there's gonna be consequences for murdering her children yeah man and yeah, another man. stillbirth bad Oof. birth at the beginning of the season finale, The Black Queen. That was painful to watch, too. Do you think that was a little excessive? Do you think we needed another one? No, I think the show's making a point. And I don't know, like, there are so many shows that don't do this and wouldn't show it. That, yeah. like, I don't know. I, I don't think it's too much for this one show to actually emphasize it and, and make this point. And it's so topical as far as, like, current day politics here in the United States mm-hmm. that... Yeah, I, I just think I, I can't say it's uh, a mistake. I don't know. I'm all on board. It's like, oh, it's excessive. It's painful to watch. Well, think about what's fucking happening in the real world, man. What other loose ends in the last three episodes? I liked Damon demanding loyalty from the two soldiers, threatening them with Caraxes. Uh, mm. I like that a lot. Apparently, that was like ad-libbed. Kinda that was cool. cool. I liked Sir Eric and Eric or whatever. <laughs> Eric and Eric, yeah. The two twin brothers were on like opposite sides of the conflict. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really cool. Which one is which? I couldn't I, you tell know, you. I couldn't <laughs> tell you either. <laughs> I wish I could say I don't know who's who. Yeah, there's a lot of cool little bits here. I mean, I think, you know, we just talked about this season a couple episodes ago, but I do think it's March from Strength to Strength. I think that the last three episodes are all fantastic. I think it's a great finale. You mentioned Patty Constantine, but Emma D'Arcy is uh yeah. incredible here and i think yeah, she's they're really good in the finale yeah they're excellent so i think hats off to them as well and yeah it's just it's really good i'm really sad we're not going to be seeing it for a while i think it's just so much better than it had any like i, I mean it, it, i guess it's as good as it needed to be to win people back and i think it did i think some other people were annoyed about viserys's deathbed the song of ice and fire and how it could possibly be construed as Allison's Aegon, you know, uh, which I kind of understand. I 100% agree. I think 
I think bringing that prophecy thing in was a little bit silly. It kind of muddles up the motivations. Um, you were doing all this subtle work to establish the interpersonal relationships and the inevitability of this conflict. And then you kind of have to throw prophecy and like weird misunderstandings in there at the last second. I, I think it confused it a bit. Um, I wish instead of that, they'd emphasized a little bit more that Rhaenyra had a lack of legitimacy with the population yeah. simply because of her sex. That's something that we've seen before, but I think it wouldn't hurt to emphasize it again, that the Greens are not only like power hungry and trying to over the Rhaenyra because of their own personal ambition um, or their personal hate for Rhaenyra or whatever. I, I do think that the majority of them are just like being misogynistic assholes and they're just like, oh yeah, women can't rule, period. And like, mm -hmm. um, I think... That motivation is important if it's a motivation that also exists within that society, right? So, like, yeah. you know, and, and I think it is, right? You know, we saw in that episode where um, Damon and Rhaenyra go down into town, like, there's plenty of people who just, like, laugh at the idea of a woman being queen, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think that lack of legitimacy with the population is a problem and can serve as a motivation for the Greens besides just pure personal ambitions, like... Either we yeah. don't think a woman can rule or we don't think like that a woman ruling will have legitimacy. And I think that that's something interesting. I think it's Sir Lionel Strong who mentions that. He's like, we're overthrowing years of tradition in order to seat a woman on the throne and like the people are never going to accept it. Now, I don't know how much the will of the people has to do with things in Westeros. I suspect that there always is a risk of populist backlash and you do have to pay attention to your legitimacy as a ruler. Mm -hmm. I don't think you can completely flout convention and get away with it. But I also do think that if he had assiduously to shore up her claim that Viserys could have done a lot more to prepare Rhaenyra for the situation, you know? I totally um, agree. I think they probably could have nixed the entire prophecy portion of uh, this first season. I don't um, think it adds anything. The song of Ice and Fire and the – I mean, I guess I did like the bit in that last episode as, as a contributor to making Damon more horrifically jealous and angry. Mm -hmm. That part was nice, but I mostly don't think it adds anything. Yeah. Um, I think the combination of, like, as you said, Rhaenyra's illegitimacy and, like, how everyone would react to that. And also, I think there's something – interesting to explore with Alicent knowing that Aegon is unfit to rule and like you know in the same episode he's like you're no son of mine you know he's like a fucking rapist he's a piece of shit but then contrasting that with how power hungry she is and then at the needling of her father Otto Hightower trying to install Aegon on the throne I think that's something interesting that you can explore and I think that's enough over like this stupid deathbed misunderstanding that doesn't even really make I sense agree. and what's even neat about that is that even Aegon's like uh i don't really want to be king yeah he doesn't want to rule yeah like um, i don't want to be king no one wants me to be king i don't even believe that my father wanted me to be king yeah it's yeah. always been rhaenyra's why would i take that from her and then he has his coronation and lifts up that fucking sword he's like you know what actually, like, okay, this could pretty cool i actually like that moment the actor played that pretty well actually yeah he's like oh i could get used to this shit he's like uh oh <laughs> uh oh <laughs> he's like lifting his fist up with the sword he's like oh shit this is nice you know <laughs> yeah man oh that's really uh, well done yeah I, I i completely do think that is a, a misstep of the show so you know it's not going to be all unalloyed praise here we do have some criticisms for the show however slight I don't think they're going to be coming back to the prophecy again and again. I think there's going to be much bigger I hope things. Not. 
for them to deal yeah. with um, in the present. So I, I think there's going to be plenty going on and maybe they'll come back to it at the, you know, the last shot of the show or something will be like, you know, the dagger or something stupid. I don't know, whatever. But I do think that there's going to be plenty for them to deal with and they won't lean on this too hard, which I think would be good. I, I don't want them to go back to this well of prophecy again and again. It's a really good thing that Game of Thrones did, not emphasizing the prophecies so much. Uh, and I think it'd be wise for House of the Dragons to follow in its footsteps. Neither here nor there, some characters I want to see more of. I want to see Miseria come back. I want her to come back without that awful accent that Sonoya Mizuno <laughs> has to do. That, that accent is awful. I don't know. It's what, brutal. She's not dead, right? I feel like they would have no, made I don't it. Think she's dead. She's obvious because they did burn down her. Yeah, no, she's not dead. They would have made that tavern. obvious. I yeah. think she's in hiding, getting some accent coaching. <laughs> she deserves better than that accent. Jesus. Oh my god. Yeah, I like Sonoya Mizuno a lot, and so that accent makes her. It was rough. It, it was pretty ugly, yeah. Um, but I like her, and I do still want to see her back. I agree. Yeah. I also want to see Harold Westerling more, uh, Graham McTavish. I really like that actor. So yeah. I liked his little moment of quitting the council when they were deciding to kill Rhaenyra and her family. Yeah, that was cool. Part of that. Uh, real Barristan Selmy vibes. Yes, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> Dropping the cloak and everything. Guy who has only known uh, one Kingsguard commander. Hmm, I have no <laughs> so many vibes from this. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, he was good. Who else? Of course, Kristen Cole. Of course, we'll be seeing more of him. Um, I mean, we already know who all the principals are. Is there any like any other minor characters? You're like, what do they want to see this person come back again? You got a bunch of the good ones already. Which dragon is cool, Vega or Caraxes? Oh, I'm a vague. I'm a Vagar guy. Um, Just because he's a big boy. She, right? She. Oh, she. Vagar's a she. Big yeah. girl. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I think. I mean, at first I didn't like it. I was like, oh, she's like got all this loose skin. She's wrinkly. Like she's like really creepy looking. She's big then and I was old. Like, oh wait, that's why she's awesome. Like this is it's yeah, yeah, like yeah. a giant flying Godzilla. I think Vagar's design is really cool. People um, call Caraxes Noodle Boy. I think it's so funny. Dude, he's a, he is definitely a Noodle Boy. <laughs> the long, long neck, like super long neck. Yeah. I, I think it's a an interesting design. Yeah, it's a cool design. I think it is a cool design. I don't know if I like it as much as Vagar's design, but I do think that that super long neck is really neat. Yeah, um, it's a neat choice. I think. Yeah, there are all these drags, and you're gonna have to be able to like keep them separate in your heads because there are just so many. I think there's going to be like so many more, right? From what Damon was saying. Yeah, well, Damon went to claim that other dragon. I don't know what the name yeah. was. I think it's Vermithor. Vermithor. Uh, <laughs> and then they have like a bunch of eggs that they haven't hatched either. So like there's a lot going on. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, but I don't think Damon can claim that dragon himself. He's already bonded to Caraxes, so I don't think he can claim Vermithor. I think he's just waking that dragon up for someone else on their side to bond. To claim, claim yeah, him. yeah, yeah. I think you know the rider has to bond with the dragon or whatever, and then I think while they're bonded, they probably can't. You can't. I don't think you can cheat on your dragon or vice versa. <laughs> also, I liked the dragons unable to be controlled. You know, like I thought that was a great touch. I think it goes to Maester Aemon from Game of Thrones saying like how the dragons were the undoing of House Targaryen. You know, I think that's a thread that carries over from the original series. And Viserys himself says, like, it's a yeah. lie that like we control the we dragons. Co- yeah, right, 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 right. And, like, what are the dragons, like, 
not in the story, obviously, but not literally, but metaphorically, right? This is war. This is the risk of unleashing these weapons of mass destruction, right, weapons right, of right. terror, right? And so, like, the whole point of the show is that war is bad, and it's always going to get out of control. It's always going to run beyond your expectations. There's always going to be atrocities. There's going to be the awful things that go on. And it's tempting to think you can control it, but you can't rein that violence in once you've lit fire to the wick. And so, yeah, I agree. I think that really underlines the themes of the show. I think one last thing I want to mention or ask you is, how long do you think this show goes? How many seasons do you think? Ooh, that's a very good question. Do we know an answer for that yet? Have they said? No, I don't think so. I don't think there's like six seasons of story here. No, I was going to say like, I don't think there's eight seasons. I think there's like four or five. You think it could be as short as three? No. No, I don't think so. I don't think it's as short as three. I think there's too much to do. I read uh, one of the novellas that's based on The Princess and the Queen, uh, but that's Mm. years ago, and I don't really remember it that well, so I I don't have a good sense of how much we have left. But my understanding is we're like, I don't know, 15 or 20% into the story right now. You know, not like 30 or 40 or 50%. Like, I I don't think this goes two or three years. I think this is four or five years. But I do think that they need to slow the pacing down a little bit from like the first season or else they're going to burn through the entire war like real quickly. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's going to be any more of the time jumps or anything, right? Yeah, I don't think think so either, yeah. I think they're just going to have to play it through the way it plays through and um, I I think the pacing will even out. I'm I'm not super worried. But I, I do think there's probably a lot that happens in this war and so that if it moves at a breakneck pace, all the better. Yeah. Um, oh, wow. Um, interesting. So you wanted an answer to that question. George R. R. Martin, I, I guess, has an answer for you. He said that it is going to take four full seasons of 10 episodes each to do justice to the Dance of the Dragons from start to finish. Oh, nice. So when did he say that? That is his thinking. He posted it on his blog early October. Okay. So um, not too long ago. Yeah. And so it looks like, you know, and he actually talks about the time jumps and stuff, too. Um, this is interesting reading. And you can cut as much of this as you need, Jeff, because people can always go to the blog and read it if they want. But yeah, he basically yeah. says that there's only so many minutes in an episode and only so many episodes in the season. And so you've got to cut things down. Um, if House of the Dragon had 13 episodes a season, maybe we could have shown all the things that we had to time jump over. But he says he's thrilled that they have 10 hours every season to tell the tale. And uh, hopefully, uh, yeah, he said it's going to take four full seasons of 10 episodes each. I mean, I was thinking four or five. So the, so I think we're, we're right Throwing in. Throwing a little shade at the final season of uh, Game <laughs> of Thrones. Happy we're getting yeah. 10 episodes a season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think it is worth noting that George R. R. Martin is, I think he's working much more closely with the showrunners in this than he did in Game of Thrones. Is and he? I didn't know that, I, actually. And I, and I think even more importantly, I think the story's complete, right? Yeah, right, right, right. So I, I think you're going to see a lot less of the issues of uneven quality that plagued the last uh, bits of Game of Thrones, the stuff that got uh, everybody upset. I think you're going to yeah. see less of that. I think there's always going to be people who have silly or bad faith interpretations. There's always going to be people who just don't like the show, which is not to be for them. But I think this will probably dodge a lot of the criticisms of Game of Thrones just by virtue of the story being complete. Yeah, a lot of the critical reception and like the fan reception has been pretty positive. 
And for good reason, it's a good show. Yeah, I think it was my favorite thing uh, going while it was. There's a lot of really good genre sci-fi fantasy stuff on right now, right? There's yeah. Andor, there's um, Interview with the Vampire as well. But I think this uh, this beats them all. I thought this was excellent. Yeah, I think so. Um, it's excellent. And uh, join us in the wait for uh, the year and a half or two-year wait or whatever for next season. 2024. Wow. <laughs> yeah, pretty crazy. Can all right, it? well... I think uh, that'll conclude this week's episode. Uh, where can people find not Derek? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, you can find me on my blog at strangeharbors.com. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram. Um, what about you, Amir? What's your bit this week? <laughs> uh, I'm going to say you can find me at Castle of Black, where uh, my long watch waiting for this next season of the show begins. <laughs> Apparently, we're going to see the Starks next season. Oh, good Stark. stuff. I think it's going to be a fan favorite. People love the Starks. Go back to Winterfell. That'd be nice. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Um, all right. Yeah. So if you like this podcast, if you like this episode on House of the Dragon, feel free to give us a great star rating on Apple Podcasts. Um, it helps us get our podcast out to more people and for more people to listen. And if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, feel free to shoot us an email at jeff at strangeharbors.com. We like getting listener mail, and sometimes we read it on the pod. So with that, we will see you guys next week. See you next week, everybody.